0: Welcome to Psychedelic Science for the People. My name is Emily Feda, and I will be your guide as we attempt to better understand psychedelic medicine through conversations with scientists and researchers. When we started this podcast in 2019, our goal was to bring scientific research on cannabis to the people who need it most, patients, consumers, and industry professionals. Our goals haven't changed, but as you probably know, we're seeing a global renaissance in psychedelic research as well as a decriminalization movement in the U.S., It's never been more important to provide education on medicines like psilocybin, ayahuasca, LSD, MDMA, and ketamine. Before we get into today's episode, I need your help. We're raising money for Season 5 to cover the costs associated with creating this podcast. We want to continue to make these long-form, nuanced conversations about psychedelics and cannabis available and accessible for the people. I am linking our Indiegogo page below in the show notes, and I would be so grateful if you could support us. Please help us get a studio space. It just makes the sound quality so much better. Even $5 or $10 means the world. Thank you so much. Today we are featuring Megan Pulowski, who is a scientist, nurse, and cannabis ceremony facilitator. We have gotten so many requests to highlight the healing journeys of patients using cannabis, and this episode is exactly that. Megan shares her journey using cannabis to heal her own autoimmune disease, multiple sclerosis. This episode really walks the line between the science and the sacredness of plant medicine, and we talk about how cannabis and other psychedelic medicines can help us heal, not just by mitigating the symptoms of illness, but also by guiding us to look at the root cause. Megan shares how she used her scientific training as well as her own intuition to design a cannabis treatment regimen that worked for her. She also shares how to intentionally use cannabis through ceremony, whether in a community or individually. And ultimately, she provides a really empowering story about how we can heal and how we can use plants to help us in this process so I know that you are a nurse, and you spent many years working in um, end of life healing and treatment. And you're also an advocate avid advocate for for using cannabis as medicine, especially when it comes to healing trauma. Um, so when you look back on your personal journey, where, where did this connection begin?
1: Well, I would say, um, I mean, I tried cannabis in high school, like a lot of people have, (laughs) uh, would not term that like a super spiritual or entheogenic relationship at that point. Um, I would say probably working as a nurse, um, as you mentioned, I did a lot of palliative care, um, palliative oncology. And then, you know, unfortunately, um, we took like the terminal extubations and things like that on our floor, people who, you know, weren't quite stable enough to even make it to hospice or home to transition, unfortunately. Um, and that really led me to have an interesting relationship, um, with death and how it was like approached and, and handled and sort of tabooed a little bit in our society. And, um, Yeah, so that actually just got me like curious because I was walking around, you know, like and the patient would have just, you know, I just took them down, you know, unfortunately to the morgue or something like that. And I would have this over. I could feel so much energy in the room and like energetically, I could feel that something needed to be cleared or done. Um, And it just didn't seem comprehensive, the care that I was limited within my scope to provide. I was actually like always getting in trouble for things like, you know, taking like an extra 10 minutes to like walk that spouse down to their car, you know, or, um, or do fingerprints uh, for somebody. And like, that bothered me because like, they're way more than just their financial identification number, you know, we're whole beings. And so that actually like first led me To start doing searches um, where I stumbled upon, like, I think John Hopkins years ago was still in that study um, regarding mushrooms for like the terminally ill. Um, And at that point, it was just reading. um, And then also, I had a lot of those palliative oncology patients as well. And that's, I just started thinking, like, wow, it would be a good option to maybe have cannabis suppositories for these patients, you know, they, uh, I could bypass the liver. I don't have to stick them. And then I start. I started asking questions about that to management and stuff. And I very quickly learned the red tape, um, around that and the taboo and stuff. Um, and at that point, uh, at the same time, personally, I was, my MS was getting pretty bad. I was, of the opinion that I should push through it, Um, despite it being actually pretty severe, severe enough to be on like a stem cell transplant waiting list and was on upwards of 17 medications, most of them to just keep the spasticity at bay. They were talking about putting like an implantable baclofen pump in my body and um, I was just very sick. And obviously my mental health was not in a good place either, dealing with all of that and the stress of that job that I had. Um, So just started hearing a little bit more about medical cannabis and things just came to a head with my disease process, honestly. Um, You know, I had like a near-death experience with, um, you know, a chemotherapy that was supposed to just change everything. And instead it just gave me, you know, uh, a ton of trauma (laughs) and a near-death experience as well. And so at that point, I made the decision to drop out of my nurse practitioner program that I was in. I was going to do complex medical decision-making um, and I applied just on a whim. It was, it was so like led by spirit. I was actually, it's not that cool of a story. I was just scrolling Facebook, um, you know, cause I was follow, I followed like ganjapreneur and you know, just like cannabis news. Cause it's like, I, I couldn't partake at that point Like using my license, but I just wanted to, in touch. And I saw a big headline that the University of Maryland had finally gotten the curriculum approved to have the first graduate program through their school of pharmacy for medical cannabis. And it was probably the first moment that it was just boom, that is what I'm supposed to do. Um, I can build on this knowledge that I have, uh, you know, from nursing and my understanding of the body. But like this, both personally and professionally, is where I need to start narrowing in this apprenticeship with this plant. Um, So I dropped out that week and um, applied and like was actually super surprised and blessed to get in and ended up going through the program and was one of the first 150 people in the world (laughs) to get that graduate degree. Um, But outside of that, there was still something missing. Uh, because I knew that myself, as as soon as I walked away from my license, I got my medical card. I'm in Florida, so we're a medical-only state at this time. Hopefully that changes. Um, and so I was learning to work at that plan, a lot of trial and error of myself, definitely overdid it at some points. And uh, But it was cool, because I was like my own guinea pig as I'm working through pharmacy school figuring this out. But I also knew that I was having very um, – spiritual experiences as well that um, I noticed that it had this very amplifying and like biphasic nature to sort of turn up whatever the setting was that you stepped into it with, meaning like your internal setting. Um, So I started once again, just reading. I have, um, I actually brought a book to show for this. This was the first book that I ever, it's by Stephen Gray, who is a wonderful resource on, um, like entheogenic, like plant allies, especially cannabis and stuff. So I read that book and sat with it a while and just started refining these sort of little toolboxes that I'd have and setting up these little ceremonies just for myself and communing with the plant that way for years. And then um, that did eventually lead me to other plant medicines who sort of helped me stand in my power. I had these visions of, you know, bringing that knowledge to the community and, um honestly, this is one of the oldest entheogenic plant allies. And there's so much disinformation and dichotomy in how it's presented. And it's so much more than this like medical versus recreational. Like there is this boundless like capabilities of this plant. Um, but I think what's really unique about it is it truly um, that starting point of your experience is really coming from you. Um, and we have this beautiful, like internalized, like modulatory network of bounce and homeostasis. And we can actually stimulate these endocannabinoid by things that a lot of us are already, doing, right. If we're practicing a lot of mindfulness, like acupuncture and things like that, we're already expressing and working with this symptom, this, uh, this plant in a way. Um, so that's sort of like how it, but, and also, um, I was able to wean off of every single medication I was on. I've been off all of my disease modifying treatments and medications for years. I removed myself from the transplant list and I'm happy to say that I'm feeling great.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's such an incredible story. So MS, that stands for multiple sclerosis, correct? Multiple
1: sclerosis. And you can think of that like... I like to use the analogy of like an uh, electrical wire, right? It has that protective covering on the outside, but we have all those little tiny like copper wires on the inside. So with MS, our immune system is incorrectly identifying that uh, protective covering on the brain and spinal cord as like a foreign invader, the same way it would, you know, when we actually have a virus or something, and then it would attack, Mm -hmm. except it's attacking the healthy, the healthy tissue and then, depending on where it gets attacked is why it's such like a spectrum disease and why you can have chief people with MS with very different presentations, because it all depends on the, um, not only the size, but the location of the lesion. You can have them in your brain or more down the spinal cord. Um, and then there's, you know, different variations of the DZ. Some are more relapsing and remitting in nature and some are very progressive, uh, decline right from the time of diagnosis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was how, uh, 21 when I got diagnosed with that. It was actually my first week as a nurse. I thought wow. that I was just like tired because I'd never worked a 12 hour shift. And I gave, I gave birth six weeks ago too. Okay. Um, and I just woke up and um, couldn't move the left side of my body, the tunnel vision, a lot of vertigo. Um, mm-hmm. so it was a pretty clear cut presentation. So some people aren't quite that lucky. Um, it's a little more non specific, and they're searching for answers for quite a while. So.
0: Okay. So you had just begun working, you were a new mother and then you got this diagnosis. Yes. And how, how did you approach this? I mean, I think, and especially over the years now that you, um, have been creating your own, your own plant-based treatment plan, it seems mm-hmm. to, to manage symptoms and, um, how, what, what has this illness taught you? Do you have any inclinations as to why, you know, you went through this experience or? or?
1: I think definitely trauma is the source of every autoimmune disease and probably most chronic illnesses, even expanding beyond that as well. Um, you know, and I, I know that there's a lot of really interesting studies on that as well. Like the, there's a lot of correlative studies with MS. You know, if you make sure that there's nothing that will definitively say, this is what causes it, but there's a lot of correlation between childhood trauma and then developing an autoimmune disease later in life. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and then, you know, they have other factors as well. Um, you know, like they, they were very interested in like how far away from the equator I lived. And I'm sure that had to do with like their vitamin D theory <laughs> as well. Um, but I would say what the disease taught me and the biggest shift within myself, um, is that I initially was very caught up in why is my body doing this to me? Everything was external, um, that I was experiencing, um, And as I've worked with the psychedelics and the plants and just the mindfulness modalities over time, that sort of like aha moment was, you know, I've perpetuated this in a way, it's not my fault. That's not what I'm saying, but I definitely perpetuated it and got caught in this pain body cycle and looking for all these external, like fix me. I need this medication or, you know, I need this treatment, but really like, I, there's no one better suited to know what works for myself than me. And um, that is probably one of the biggest things to reprogram as a patient, especially when you're feeling, you know, like just hopeless. That was a, that took a couple of years with the medicine to, to work through that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I liked, I like the analogy of like, I was walking around in the dark. And then I realized like I had matches in my pocket and they'd been there the whole time.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that's beautiful. Because, yeah, I think illness can really be such a powerful teacher. But of course, when you're when you're in it, when you're in the physical pain, when you're in that state of hopelessness, it's really hard to access that. It's really hard yeah. to access that inner wisdom or the matches that you said. it. So I think I think cannabis and I think different plant medicines can be such powerful teachers to show mm-hmm. us what we already know. Um, But I'm also curious, too, because in addition to being these teachers, they also can help with the the physical symptoms. So it is actually so I think that's a huge part of it, too. You know, if you're not just in this chronic physical pain, you're able to access that wisdom a little bit more. I mean, if you're just in your body and you're suffering, it's really difficult to access that place of yourself that could be like, what is this here to teach me? So yeah. I'm wondering, yeah, how, how did you use cannabis to kind of help um, manage the physical symptoms and, and then how did that lead you or, or to, to maybe some of more of these, these deeper spiritual insights?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, I think that like with the cannabis, the need for the medications fell off pretty quickly. And I, th- and I bring that up because I think that's important when you're on that many sort of just band aids um, mm-hmm. really fuzzes you up here. It's there's like a huge disconnect in in being able to pull yourself into a space where you can settle into that inner wisdom as well. So as those fell away, and like I said, there was definitely trial and error. I definitely um, made the classic mistake that a lot of people do that they think that like more THE is like better and. If you're dealing with something like pain wise, that's actually like uh, counterintuitive in a lot of ways. And so that was something I, I learned through the schooling as well. I would say um, learning about all aspects of the plant um, and personally, like what medically from that perspective helped me the most was taking things and ratios which is also important because spiritually that led me to a greater understanding and respect for that plant spirit as a whole. This is not just THC, there's CBG, there's CBD. Everything starts as CBGA, which is sort of like that mother molecule and stuff. So as I learned like what the perfect recipe was for me, I was at the same time just cultivating such like reciprocity because I was always like left learning something that I didn't know before. Right. And so I think the way that it continues like to humble you and then the approach that approach is so much different than taking a pill that your neurologist gave you, because you really do, like you can't just pop this and do none of the inner work. Like you might be able to with something else. Like, having this very like individualized relationship with something where uh, uh, my endocannabinoid system is different than yours. Like our preferences would probably be different and how our body and our mind would respond is different. It places the power back to you. So while I was working on that medically, I think that that was a huge shift for me spiritually to come to that realization that it's like, I hold the keys here. So I hope that made sense. Um, But yeah, that, uh, so that was um, an amazing time, like going through all of that and figuring out what works. And it does, con- it, it changes too. Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, there's, for the most part, I, I, I'm very like careful about like claiming a disease. Um, and that's another shift that like what I just described helped me with is, I used to go around um, and say, you know, like I'm an MS warrior and, you know, I have MS and constantly talking about it and fueling it. And um, this plant giving me a better understanding of like energy and, you know, where your thoughts and your actions and your words go. That's where the energy flows. So it's, you know, I, I, I don't deny <laughs> having something, but I it's like I, I feel a little bit symptomatic today, but that's not who I am and it's not my baseline. So it's a tiny shift in perspective that's had a massive effect on my mm-hmm, life.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you feel symptomatic, what, what comes up? I
1: would say the real only thing that really lingers for me sometimes is I have, um, and this is 50, 50 with patients. Sometimes people get very triggered by the cold and mm-hmm. some MS patients get very triggered by the heat. For me, it's like the heat and humidity, which is ironic because I live in Florida. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But um, like, you know, going into like temescal's or sweat lodges is like something I just have to work around and, and not put myself in that position as of now. And I hope that I just continue to Improve my vagal tone and my endocannabinoid system um, in other ways. And then eventually, I don't think that there will be any limitations. I think that all the limitations are in the mind, is what that's taught me.
0: Mm-hmm. So, when you look back on the journey of beginning to um, use cannabis, were you mostly using flour? Were you, um, I know you also make your own cannabis products at this point. Um, yeah. So, what was that process like? Of um, trying different things out and, you know, determining like how much to dose yourself, how, how much to take?
1: Were, <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I don't know. Can you kind of maybe even pinpoint, was there any particular moment where you were like stumbling in the dark and then all of a sudden you, you realize like, oh, okay, I got this. Or or what was that process like for you?
1: Um, so mostly flour is what mm-hmm. I worked with. I'm lucky in the regard that in terms of, like, studies, MS is, like, the most studied thing for medical cannabis. So, like, I had a bunch of resources, but it's sometimes they conflict, and I didn't know where to start. I think uh, one of my biggest learning curves was uh, jumping straight to an RSO protocol. (laughs) So there was, like, two weeks where I was trying to finish, like, a full – 30 days of uh, RSO is Rick Simpson oil. So it's about the most concentrated form that you can take cannabis in. And it's a little syringe and it's usually like very dark brown or black and you take a tiny, like a grain size amount. And um, I can get into that at another time, but they're very, very useful for like cancer patients. And like people have completely shrunk. Uh, tumor burdens and things like that. Um, but I thought, gosh, like I'm so sick. Like I just want to feel better. And I sort of jumped to that first. And I had a rough couple of weeks as it was so much. She, it sensitized me so much that I was experiencing like anxiety and actually the, the pain in my body was significantly worse. And then, so I, took a tolerance break <laughs> for a few days. And, um, I knew that smoking helped me feel better, like symptomatically. And I just, um, cause that was sort of the first and most readily available thing that I tried. Um, but I think the aha moment was when I started, um, just discussing with my colleagues and getting their opinion and stuff about halving it with CBG flour. Um, and I knew that that feeling and how long it lasted and the space that it put me in, that's like where I needed to be. I don't remember like the exact aha moment. It was just, um, it was like, I, f- I figured it out. Like I figured it out. So this is what works for me for now. Um, and I still do that to this day. And then, you know, sometimes at night or if I'm doing a little bit deeper of spiritual work or going into prayer or something like that. I I do leave the CBD or CBG out of it, um, because I know that it will sensitize me more. um, But I'm looking for that attunement at that point. Um, And so, and that also helped me sort of um, with stepping into my intentional use. And I wasn't at that point in school, like praying with it and doing all these extensive prayers and blessings. But I started just to ask myself, like just pause right before I partook with whatever the form was. And it's, um, you know, may this medicine repair any broken or damaged DNA and help me with any physical ailments. Thank you. (laughs) You know, it was pretty simple at that time, but it also would eventually help me differentiate that setting of, Oh, I'm stepping into this just for my own internalized state of balance, or I'm stepping into this with a very like intentional, um, Sort of like shamanic setting, um, because those prayers look very differently and vastly different experiences, even if I smoke the exact same thing in the exact same amount. So there's so much reciprocity with that plant
0: in that way. How do you begin to design an intentional um, cannabis ceremony? And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What recommendations would you give to someone who's on their own journey, you know, with this? Yeah. So I'd say just, just start small. Like some people well, you know, first
1: of all, I have to, sometimes I have to even like step back from using the word ceremony because I realize that like that can be like triggering <laughs> for some people. So sometimes I just term it like, you know, more intentional or conscious consumption. Um, to me, it's very ceremonial and I do resonate with that word. So I might use those interchangeably. Um, but the, the little the little ceremonies that I bring to the community are really, those are my favorite because that's just like teaching, like dipping the toe in the water of like how that question you just asked, like, what does that even look like? So I usually give everybody, well, I wish I had some, a little bit of like hemp wick because I just want to start getting like the questions like rolling and have them start to formulate like, what is a setting, a great setting look like for me? And so- I give them a little bit of hempwick, and I'm like, yeah, you know, we just went through this little blessing for our cannabis, but then we're going to light butane like right on it after we just cleansed it. So it's like, "Hmm." (laughs) well, that's one way I said, you know, or another thing that I do is I'll let the ashes on my ashtray um, like build up for a little while. And then when it gets full, I go and I, like I'll sprinkle them back in my yard and sort of, there's just something ritualistic in that within itself, like the completion of a cycle. Um, So doing that, um, I also have a little uh, candle that I only light that's saved and reserved just for when I'm doing, like my conscious smokes. It can just be simple things like that, even if praying isn't, uh, you know, you're not, it doesn't resonate with you or, or chanting or, you know, examining through the viewpoint of some of those like Vedic lenses that I talk about. I, I try and give a little brief overview of lots of like ritualistic and and theogenic use, like dating back just to help people step outside of the box because with this plant, there's a lot of programming, a lot, you know, and I don't blame people for not even thinking, wow, like I could have an experience with this when it's just, you know, you have like charts in front of you about like what temperature you need to like heat your rig to. And you know, there's, there's all this like complexities in your, in your consumption. Um, so those are just like a couple little things. And then I do share that very simple prayer that I shared with you, um, before. And then if it resonates, um, there's also a couple like Sanskrit chants, um, that, like Lord Shiva in um, like yogic philosophy um, is who we associate usually like using herb with. And he used it basically to just invoke a sense of presence in his body. So sometimes there's little blessings like that, or you can say your own. Um, So there's, there's so many, like, I could go on about that forever. There's so many ways that you could begin to formulate, but I think it's just asking yourself, like, what does like a nice quiet space like for you, look like some people that's like in the bath and they make that their thing in the bath um so yeah those are just a a few of my my answers i think just i think just most importantly just stopping and just asking yourself like what am i using it for and sometimes it's okay if your answer is like you know i just want to unwind and relax but you know like thank you to this medicine for allowing me to do that because that's what my intention is that in itself is a beautiful opening to your own ceremony.
0: So you mentioned that there is a lot of programming around cannabis. And I mean, of course, we know about some of the cultural programming around cannabis. Um, but I'm wondering if you could talk about it more from like a scientific perspective, especially now, as we know, kind of there's more and more research coming out about how to use cannabis and how to use it per, for a particular illness or disease. But I mm-hmm. think there's something really empowering about creating your own relationship with this plant and creating, you know, you're going on your own healing journey and figuring out what works for you. So right. I'm wondering if you could talk, if you could talk about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, there's the cultural programming, which is a whole nother Part of it as well. But from like the medical side, there really have been agendas pushing, you know, misinformation, disinformation about cannabis, um, you know, just to fit the mold of um, its scheduled status and things like that. So one of the things I like to talk about in my ceremonies as well is um, stepping outside of that like medical versus recreational uh, point of view, which is so important because it gives the power back to your hands. I think that there is definitely um, a disservice being done when people try to um, make umbrella statements about something like cannabis, which is such an individualized medicine. We all have these, you can think of your endocannabinoid system as like this internalized, like modulatory network that's responsible for a vast array of processes in the body. I mean, everything from breastfeeding to temperature control, just, I could go on and on about that. But my system looks different than your system, which looks different from everybody else's. So um, taking that sort of like Westernized medicine approach of like, oh, you know, like here's a pill to fix something and it works and the data shows that is not super applicable here. They really need studies with um, flour that mimics actually, what people are actually using. Um, to, and, and uh, you know, also just keeping in mind that part of this is like, it really is empowering the patient to take their care into their hands. And I think that that's something that people aren't necessarily used to. So they'll take the first suggestion that someone at, you know, maybe a doctor's office, although, you know, usually that's just like a continuing education credit. They're not like experts, you know, and unfortunately, there's really a very, very small percentage of um, US medical schools that even spend time on the endocannabinoid system, which is shocking, but I think that that's going to move a different direction and change as well. So I think it's just um, all coming back to that, like patient empowerment and education and knowing that what works for one does not mean it's going to work for the other. And it does take some trial and error. So and that can be a hard program to step out of if you're used to just going to the doctor, here's a script that'll fix me, it works for everybody.
0: So. so, what recommendation would you give to someone who's newer on the journey and maybe has been in that model, maybe someone who is working with autoimmune disease or or another illness and has been in that model for so long, where should they start? How would you recommend someone kind of start developing their own Their own relationship with cannabis or their own treatment regimen, while still also heeding the research and the, um, you know, advice of their doctors that that does exist.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I do always do a search for studies, um, but I take that with a grain of salt. As I said before, I think the best thing that a new patient can do is to keep a journal, like a patient journal. And some, some medical centers are really good about that. They're very, um, they'll are very; they give you these cool little journals with like, this is what I tried. This is how it made me feel from zero to 10. This is how much it helped. Um, and that's huge. There's even apps that you can do that. I know I had a, a friend up in Maryland that was working on an app for medical patients called Tetragram. And it was so patients could log which strains worked for them for their spasticity or whatever symptom it was. And that alone starts to narrow down which elements of the plant are really working for you. Like, for for example, you keep this patient journal, you try all these new strains, and then you start looking like, well, uh, strains that are like cookies and cake. And muffins, those types of names, interestingly, those all seem to be the most effective for me. What's the common denominator here? And then you can peel back another layer and start looking at the terpenes. For me, I gave that example because um, having MS beta-caryophyllene is one of the major terpenes found in a lot of strain and especially ones with like food names (laughs) for some reason. Um, and I narrowed that down. And so now I, when I go into a new dispensary or maybe I'm not in the one that I'm used to, I can empower myself and say, when they're saying, Oh, do you want an indica or sativa, which is a very just irrelevant term (laughs) to be quite frank? Um, I can say, well, you know what? I really want to look for something that's high in beta cariophyllene. And that over time recording that allowed me to take the power into my hands. So that would be my first advice. There is um, a very good book. It's called Cannabis Pharmacy and it does a it's a very like brief, good like layman's terms review of like this is what research we have. like this is what generally could work. This is what limited research we have on MS. Um, these are some strains that are high in this terpene. so it, it can give a good starting point. For people. So I really like that, but definitely just recording it because it doesn't matter what, like I said, what works for your friend. It matters what works for you, and that's going to look different. And that can also change over time.
0: That's such great advice. And we have an episode actually with a scientist from Leafly who had started to do some of that research of looking at at the names of strains like cookie or whatever it was and how it actually was associated with terpenes. So I think sometimes, you know, so it's such an interesting conversation because I think sometimes we're like, we have no research on cannabis, but people who have been using cannabis for a long time, and people who have been cultivating cannabis for a long time, a lot of them do really know what they're doing. And there's patterns, you know, and there's patterns in in breeding. There's patterns in cultivation. And some of those patterns show up in these names of different types of strains and cultivars. So I think... Yeah, so absolutely. I think that's, that's such a, I feel like that's so empowering too, when we can move beyond the Indica sativa, we have another episode about that too, but, but that's not but an empowering. i let that person
1: uh, jump into yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciate, agree. Um, I appreciate so I won't your... get their spotlight, but I support what they're going to say because I'm sure <laughs> they'll, they'll hit it on the head and I'm really, yeah. Leafly is another really good starting point research. So I definitely <laughs> want to throw that out there. That's um, an awesome play. They don't, have all the strains, but I'm I'm sure they're working on that. I'm sure it's continuous work to, to add all of these new names and, and, um, and strains on there, but they're really good about breaking down even like the top three terpenes. And then, you know, if you're just starting out as a patient, you can say, oh, well, what's limonene? Like, what is that? And you can click on it and it'll say, give you the little, oh, well, this is found in citrus and it tends to be very energizing and stuff. And you can start to paint this picture of how that's going to interact pharmacokinetically with your body.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think that education and awareness can also be really useful. We talked a little bit about like visualization and creating ceremony. And mm-hmm. when you have some knowledge and understanding about like what you're introducing into your body, it, it just makes that relationship even deeper. So I yeah. think that's a cool, that's a cool yeah, combination. because
1: then you can tailor it to your spiritual purposes too. Once you've mastered that sort of therapeutic model like, you know, if I'm going to go into, if I just want to like lay back maybe and receive a sound healing, I'll smoke a little more, you know, like more THC, less activity, like inverse relationship there. And there, maybe I would go for more of those like, in, I'm doing air quotes for the people that can't see me, indica type strains. Um, but then, you know, I know that like the, the limonene really energizing. So that's something that I might incorporate into a more somatic movement or an ecstatic dance part of a ceremony. So it's, it's so beautiful how you can just continue to refine, refine, refine your, your little toolbox.
0: Yes. Yes. And I'm even envisioning like doing an intention ceremony, an intentional ceremony before using the cannabis and being like, thank you, Lemonade. Thank you, Mercy. Like just in whatever way resonates with you, but really, really acknowledging like the full, like the full, um, just the whole body of the cannabis and everything that it's, that it's offering you. So I think, yeah, just really bridging that gap between, between knowing, knowing the plant, knowing what's, what the plant contains and also kind of how how it affects you. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So we've talked a lot about cannabis so far. Um but I'm wondering if you've used other psychedelics on your healing journey and if you could talk a little bit about using cannabis in conjunction with other psychedelics especially for people healing from autoimmune disease or healing from trauma.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um I have used other psychedelics. I've tried just about all there is to try other than Ibogaine. Um, but I, I guess I'm just one of those believers that like everything I've sat with has has spoken to me in one way or another, and maybe that time comes, maybe it doesn't. Um, but yeah, I would say the second most profound tool in my life has actually been Bufo, um, which for the listeners, I know you've had Ben Malcolm on, so I know probably a lot of your listeners know what Bufo is, but, um, For these purposes, I'm referring to the toad secretion. Um, I have tried the synthetic molecule once, and that was an awesome experience. It's just from my, I'm just, I have that more available to me. Um,
0: So synthetic, uh, the synthetic molecule, synthetic DMT.
1: Synthetic 5-MeO-DMT. Yeah, that's been really, really profound. I would say in recognizing my own divinity, and also molding my relationship with death. Um, I've always had somewhat of an interesting relationship with death. Um, I've had a near death experience myself and my previous job was I terminally extubated people um, and put them on comfort measures only. So um, it was very common for me to pronounce people and and be with them as they transition. Um, So that allowed me to sort of just step back and just see like the oneness in it all. Um, and I have really had a beautiful relationship milking my own medicine and putting my own prayers into my medicine and, you know, um, just evolving on my healing journey. So one thing is I actually not too many people know about this or do this, but I'll throw it out there is, um, when I was down in the desert, once, um, milking a toad, um, someone suggested like taking the fresh medicine and sort of caviaring it onto the joint, sort of like a, you know, like a moon rock or something like that. Um, and I love that. Um, I would describe that as it very much softens the curve, right. As you step into like an ego dissolute, especially something vaporized, like bufo, that's a pretty quick, like, whoosh, um, and the cannabis with it really allowed to like soften the curve and sort of stay in the space, but still asserting um, conscious control. Um, My ego was still in the picture, but um, it's really beautiful. I actually reserve that specifically just for like ceremonies of myself. It's not something I recommend or or bring or serve to the public um, because I think that's very niche. And I I wouldn't recommend trying that before you've had like a full experience with Bufo because it's going to, I always think you should give the respect of medicines, trying them in isolation first. But with that being said, um, I feel very confident in my relationship with cannabis Um, and I've had visions seeing this mutual respect between these medicines and I find that combining the Bufo and the cannabis is really profound for me. And I usually reserve that for doing energy work on myself in some way. Um, mushrooms are an absolutely wonderful, wonderful synergistic tool with cannabis as well. And specifically, I really like um, CBG flower. Um, I think we might've talked about that earlier in the podcast. I'm not sure, but you can think of, um, there's a the acidic form of CBG. Um, And I sort of think of that as like the mother molecule. At a certain point in the flowering cycle, um, everything converts from the acidic CBG into THCA, CBDA, all those acidic forms of those molecules were uh, sometimes a little more familiar with. And there's usually trace amounts of CBG left over, but thanks to some sort of um, genetic process, or sometimes you can um, cultivate or harvest your batch early, you can yield higher results of CBG. Um, so I actually find that to be a beautiful synergy with mushrooms. And I do usually smoke CBG flour about 15 minutes or so into um, a mushroom journey. Um, and I just find that it's this beautiful, like one catalyzes the other, um, CBG is also a really good compound for helping anything sort of like GI distress. You can think of, um, it actually can help with hunger and things like that. So that's also a really good tool to have. If you're journeying with mushrooms, they don't tend to bother my stomach, but I know that a lot of people, they do get that sort of upset there. So I find that that's really soothing, Um, And those two really like to work with each other. Um, Yeah. And I've, I've tried, I've had ayahuasca that's, I have to give, um, you know, gratitude and props to grandmother ayahuasca because she was the one who gave me the courage. I was having all these visions of bringing forth how important cannabis was as a spiritual tool to the community, but I was very blocked in my throat chakra and, and quite terrified to, to speak and present and, you know, just step into my power. And it was, um, it was ayahuasca that sort of said, look, you have matches in your pocket the whole time. You have just been walking in the dark. It's there for you. You can do this. Like it's time for you to step into your power. So, um, just a very deep reverence for that medicine as well. Yeah.
0: Oh, I love that. That's so beautiful. So my, my next question is there are so many different now, well now there's a lot of different plants and different types of medicines that we can use how do you strike the balance between really using using these plants to help on your healing journey but also not becoming too too reliant on them or, or too dependent on them and and, and I don't want to say that we shouldn't be relying on them as medicine because they're here to help us I really believe that but but I also think you know we and we've touched on this throughout but we also do have a very deep we have an internal teacher we have an intuitive teacher Um, Mm -hmm. and I think sometimes when we're when we're just like always using plant medicine we can get a little blocked from our own guidance so I'm wondering if you yeah if you've had experience with that or if you can speak to that a little bit
1: I, I've definitely known a bunch of people who (laughs) use, uh, you know, it's unfortunate because the medicine does really awaken something within you. I think the first time you partake with something like a plant medicine. Um, but sometimes what you see is it becomes just a a better and more spiritual replacement, if you will, for the other vice, whatever it was. Um, So yeah, you're right. You have to be careful to not let it fuel your escapism, um, because ultimately the tools are being used to bring us back to ourselves and not further away. Um, So it's not, it wouldn't be right for me to come on here and say, oh, this is the appropriate amount of time. Um, I know that that looks different for everybody. Um, but for me, I found especially at, since it's been several years since I started working with medicines, I find that I need less medicine and way less frequently to just connect into that space. And I think it's also very helpful that I've had this relationship with cannabis and just understanding like the system of balance um, within the body, because I can like when they say get high on your own supply, like there's a scientific truth to that statement, right? Because I can also use other modalities that are up or down regulating for my endocannabinoid system and achieve these sort of you know higher states of consciousness through deep meditation and acupuncture and, and certain pranayama breath techniques and things like that. Um, for me personally, I don't do large bufo trips more than maybe once or twice a year. It's actually been since I think the beginning of last summer, Um, since I sat, I will do the smaller, like on a joint uh, maybe every couple of months to sort of just reattune myself. Um, Grandmother, I sit with about once a year Um, and that could change. I mean, I could go years (laughs) without sitting with something, but I'm just really happy that you brought that question up because the integration is the most important part. And, you know, I like to say that like sometimes the, the visuals and like the, the cool part <laughs> of the ceremony, like can be just a side of like a distraction really, because the true ceremony Well, one, it starts the second you decide you're going to sit in ceremony, but, um, it really lies in the integration and, you know the medicine gives us this gift of this blueprint to sort of start digging those new neural grooves and patching over like the old ones, but it's it's us it's up to us to continue that work. And if we don't allow ourselves time to watch those changes unfold and watch the changes in our emotional reactions um, and things like that, then we're we're sort of stealing an opportunity for ourselves and just escaping once again. So um, that really, it comes down to the person, but it's a very important subject. So I'm glad that you asked. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes, thank you for sharing that. Um, And then I'm also wondering, we've talked a little bit about um, that you are a cannabis ceremony facilitator. I'm wondering what, how do you see, I feel like sometimes... Sometimes just in in a lot of these other um, medicines that you mentioned, ayahuasca or Bufo, I mean, I think it's really critical that people sit with an experienced facilitator and in ceremony and perhaps with a group of people. It's usually how it goes. So what do you think is kind of the I I feel like sometimes, too, we get a lot of additional healing from just just being in community and and letting kind of our, our pain be held by the collective lymph of of a group. Um, so I'm wondering what your experience with that has been and as a facilitator, but also having sat in other ceremonies, what do you think is, is that difference, you know, between let's say doing cannabis on your own and and doing something within ceremony with, with a group of people within community?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially with cannabis, it's the container itself is so important because as we discussed earlier, um, in the show Cannabis is sort of, um, I use the word biphasic, meaning it'll amplify the state of what however you step into it. If you have anxiety, it's probably gonna make you more more anxious. Um, so then that where is where comes like you know, the asking and and setting that space for yourself. Um, when I do cannabis ceremonies, um, I'm looking at a lot of factors. There's a lot of, uh, the community, like you said, is very medicinal in itself. Um, I do think with cannabis, there's this extra element of like deprogramming You know, for an, what I mean by that is, you know, for example, if someone's going to come sit with Bufo or ayahuasca. They, they've thought about it. It's it, they probably haven't done it, you know, before it's their first time. Right. Um, And they're sort of at their like, their point of inflection point of like to alchemize, right? Mm -hmm. But um, there wasn't necessarily tons and tons of like daily, I'll emphasize the word like daily disinformation regarding ayahuasca and bufo. It is growing and it's booming, but it's still not like, we don't look and, and see billboards of ayahuasca. Um,
0: right. You didn't like see co- commercial, like anti ayahuasca commercials when you're like six
1: years old. Like, correct. While watching, like, like Dare like didn't come in and say,
0: like, yes. oh, like,
1: if you did buffalo, you'll turn into this flat
0: guy. So there's
1: this extra element um, of like addressing the D program. Well, first, just drawing awareness to the programs. Um, so I really like to set that space by, I do it through storytelling. Um, because sometimes that's just a beautiful way to expand someone's awareness about something. Um, so I talk a little bit about its roots, like in, um, like Vedic wisdom or, or Taoism or, um, even, um, oh, I'm drawing a blank. Oh my gosh. I completely drew a blank. That's the, uh, the ayahuasca or the religion that it's their sacrament. Um, it'll come back to me. It'll come back to me. But um, I usually weave in storytelling. Um, So I talk a little bit about like how many thousands of years it's been used. And also, I really like to draw examples of ways that it's being used outside of ingestion, because a lot of people are in that bubble of like, oh, well, this is really only to like, either chill me out, or get me high. There's like all these nutritional benefits as well. And, and like in ancient China, they would take the stalks of the stem and they would use those as like magic wands. So I like to set that space just to like open people up to a little more universal thought form, if you will, um, and give them a little bit of a trinket of like, this is how you could set a ceremony at home or just start to get those wheels turning about, how to use more intentionally? Like for example, I I save my ashes in my ashtray, and then you know when it gets full, I sprinkle it back outside. And to me, that's sort of like the completion of this this cycle. Um, you know, or using the little hemp wick um, instead of you know torching a bunch of like butane, you know, and and breathing that in. So just drawing a little more awareness, um, giving them an idea of what my personal blessing looks like, and then inviting them a second to just ask cannabis something. And a lot of times it's the first time that someone has done something like that. So, um, that's how I set the space. I usually also do a little, um, like an energy attunement, um, just to show, um, and to solidify that you don't necessarily need to ingest something to attune to the spirit. As I said before, like with myself, I don't necessarily need to like take something to like jump into that space once I'm very experienced with it. So I'll, extract some CBG, CBG or CBD oil or whatever flower that I'm using. Um, and I'll do like a little Reiki attunement just on the third eye. Um, sometimes the palms and the feet, um, just to attune them to the energetics of the plant because we're so, I think, stunted sometimes from tuning into the energetics. We're focused very much on, well, this is how it made me feel or at least it, or it made me start thinking about something more or less or something. Um, but just sitting with that and just having unwavering presence and feeling the flow within the body is um, something a lot of people, including very chronic daily smokers, have not done. And the beautiful thing is, you know, at the end of it, um, at the end of every ceremony, I usually give some cacao, bring everybody, you know, back into their, their bodies a little bit. And I end with a community exercise, which I love that you asked the question that way, because I, I always say... Um, everybody, before you leave, go up and introduce yourself to someone that you did not come here with, because there is so much medicine, just being in that like kindred embrace of like-minded community. And it's very powerful and very, very potent. Um, and you never know who you're going to meet at something like that. It takes a lot of courage to like step out and do something a little bit out of the box. And sometimes, especially people are like, why would I go pay to smoke? I can, I can just get high in front of my TV. You can, you can. So it takes, it takes, um, it takes an element of surrender to come to something like that. And that's one of honestly, my favorite parts of the ceremony is seeing these beautiful connections and these webs being woven and, you know, I, I can't wait to see where all those connections lead for everyone. So that's how I structure And some of, um, like what I go into, I also do pay mind to the terpenes Based We do Kundalini yoga. So based on the Kriya, um, if it's a little more active or a little more like meditation and chanting based I'll, I'll get picky with my terp profile. I, I don't shop for what works for me, <laughs> which I think is important. It's what's going to work for the energetics of the space the best. So I think it's just important to have a very individualized relationship with this plant and really understand it inside and out before you're leading a cannabis ceremony, because there's so much more that goes into it than just, you know, let's get high and do something fun. It's time we rewrote that script um, because cannabis does a lot for us.
0: Yes, I love what you said about what like the difference between just getting high in front of your television or, or going into a sacred space. like there is we talk a lot um in science and I think in psychedelics, too, about the placebo effect. Mm-hmm. And there's like the placebo. I, if I even really believe in the placebo effect, because sometimes there's just intention, you know, like intention it's is just, the just the power of the statement. mind. Right? Like right. if you just if you just go into a space with like-minded, conscious individuals, you're gonna feel better versus like if you're at home you in your patterns in your routine. So so I think that's an interesting point. But okay, so let's wrap up the conversation. Um, and just to to kind of bring us full circle, you you, you know, we, you you shared your your story with us getting diagnosed with MS when you were 21. And if you could go back in time and knowing everything that you know now through your healing journey and through what you've shared with other people and how you've been of service, what would you tell her? Mm, oh my gosh. I would tell her so much, but what instantly
1: just drops in and comes through would one, I would remind myself that I'm loved and worthy. Um, and two, I would remind myself not to put the power of my health and my well being in anyone else's hands but my own, including doctors.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much, Margaret. I'm so grateful that you were able to come on and share your journey with us. Thank you so much for having me. That was a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Psychedelic Science for the People. We are seeking your support to help create and produce Season 5 of this show. I'm linking our Indiegogo page in the show notes below. Please give what you can. Even a $5 or $10 donation goes a long way. If you enjoyed this show, please also consider subscribing and leaving us a 5-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for your support. Sending you so much love and gratitude.